All right, we're going to continue our study today uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, where Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And uh, he is now coming to Bethany. He has not yet come to the tomb. And he is now going to speak first to Martha. Martha runs out to see him. And Martha is there with him. And he and, and, and Martha are having a colloquy. And they are discussing his coming to, to uh, take care of the situation at hand. And Martha says to him, well, Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. And we talked about the fact of half faith, half, halfway faith, meaning, yes, God, I know you can do it, but not me, not now, not here, not in this way. And that's the faith that many of us have when we pray. And the Lord knows. He knows. He loves us. And so Jesus says to her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. There it is. There's the foundational aspect of our faith right there. You want to give people one verse in the Bible? There it is. Put it in your wallet. All right. Do you believe me? Do you believe me, Martha, when I say this? And of course, uh, Martha then then says that incredible statement, even though she's had these weaknesses, uh, she finally says in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into this world. And so there it is. There it is. The fact that here she was, that even though she had questions, her faith wasn't perfected, she wasn't totally there, that through the grace of God, she enunciates the fact of who Jesus is. And I wanted to speak to you today as I start this lesson about how important that is. That that's a foundational step of faith that we all need to make as we begin our, our walk with the Lord. And so when she said you are the Christ, the original translation of that means Messiah or the anointed one, the one anointed from God from the beginning of time. Martha was affirming that Jesus was the one prophesied to, to appear at the end time, as God's anointed servant. Uh, and second, Martha called Jesus the Son of God. And by this, she acknowledged his divinity. Uh, and it is important, it's critical, critical, that our Savior be divine. Uh, because only if he is divine uh, is he able to do that which God sent him to do. No mere mortal could do what God had Jesus do. It was because he was fully God and fully man. And we'll talk about fully God and fully man. And we're going to see the fully man part uh, later this morning when we talk about the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And you're going to see the humanity aspect of Jesus. But only as a divine personage could Jesus ultimately rise from the dead, defeat death itself as the Son of God, and become our Savior for all time. Uh, and if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then you know what? Let's go home right now. Go out, I'll meet you at a restaurant, we'll have breakfast. Because if he didn't rise from the dead, then all the lessons that I've done in these last several years, all the preachings that you've heard in this church are for naught. It is only because that three days after he was crucified, Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. That is the critical aspect of God through Jesus Christ. It is important to, to understand that and affirm it. 
And so from the beginning of time, in every word that, G, that God wrote through the scriptures, every aspect of the Bible, all 66 books of the Bible speak about the fact that God is going to send Jesus. And I've given you some verses, and I know we've talked about them before, but we'll do it again. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is right in the Garden of Eden. And so now God is intervening with the snake, with Satan himself, who has effectively caused Adam and Eve to fall. And so in verse 15, Genesis 3, verse 15, God says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. There it is. There is the first mention in Scripture about Jesus Christ. Jesus will be the one, the offspring of the woman, who will effectively crush the head of Satan, who will strike Satan, who will effectively destroy Satan. Satan will take the shot. Satan will strike the heel of the Lord, meaning he will inflict damage on him, but he will not kill Jesus. He will not destroy Jesus. And so you, you see that. Look also at Genesis 22, verse 18. And through your offspring, all nations will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Talking about Abraham. Through your offspring. Now that phrase does not refer, refer to the generic Jewish people. It refers specifically to the fact that Jesus would come through the lineage of Abraham. And so because of that, that one personage, Jesus Christ, would be the blessing for all time across all nations. Look also at Deuteronomy chapter 18. Just to show you again, I'm trying to give you a taste of the fact that right, right from the very beginning, right from the very beginning, Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. And this is Moses speaking based on what God has told him. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. And then further on at verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you. From among their brothers, I will put my words in his mouth, mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. And that prophet ultimately is Jesus Christ. And so you see it. And then just look at Isaiah 53, if you take a quick look at that. Uh, and you get a sense uh, in there which, in which we, you speak to, see that very famous uh, set of verses. And it talks about who Jesus is and what he will be. And how he will be the suffering servant. Uh, and if you look just at verse 4. Isaiah 53 verse 4. Surely he took up our infirmities. And carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God. Smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace. Was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. Ladies and gentlemen. Who else but Jesus. Are you kidding me? And this is written 800 years, 800 years before Christ would come. And so you, you understand that. I also gave you a citation of Psalm 22, uh, in which Psalm 22 lays out the very specifics of the crucifixion. And again, Psalm 22 was written a thousand years uh, before Jesus would come. And, and hundreds and hundreds of years before crucifixion would be invented. And yet you see there in that Psalm, that it speaks specifically about a death, an ignominious death uh, through, through crucifixion, through a type of death that the world has not seen before. 
And so you see this aspect. And so uh, you see how, how God is saying to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And Martha comes and finally uh, in indicates that she does believe that. Uh, and then now I want to sp focus on how God, through Jesus, speaks to Mary. Uh, because uh, Martha came to Jesus first uh, and had her conversation. In verse 28, we're told that Martha went back and called her sister and said that Jesus was asking for her. Now, uh, I think that's important to understand that, that Jesus told Martha. We're, we're, we're basically you know, kind of inferring it from what we're reading, but I believe it's a, it's a fair inference because Martha goes back and tells uh, her sister... Mary, that the teacher wants to see her. Look at verse 28. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. So, understand that. Jesus said to her, I'm sure, go get your sister. I want to see your sister. Mary's back at the house with the mourners. It's funny, isn't it? Because normally Martha would have been back at the house yeah. taking care of the mourners. But Mary's back at the mourners. And so Mary now comes out uh, to see Jesus. And, and uh, it's interesting as you see how Mary comes out and confronts Jesus and talks to her. And Mary's response to the invitation from Jesus, I think, sets a pattern for us today. We're told that Mary ran to Jesus. Now, let me say a couple of points that I think are important on this. Mary ran to Jesus even though the house was full of mourners. Full of mourners. And so Mary had a choice. Well, I could see Jesus later at the tomb, but right now I've got to take care of the things I have to take care of. I have, I have responsibilities. I have people here. No! No! When Jesus calls you, when your heart is touched to do something, you go immediately to see Jesus. I want to say that there's no effort, no work, no responsibility that you have in this life, no family aspect of your life that supersedes the call of Jesus. If Jesus is saying to you, you need to do something, I want to hear you. You've got to drop what you're doing and you've got to do it. Make, no, make no, no question about that at all. That's an important thing to do. And so Mary comes out to see Jesus, leaving the mourners beside. And so it sets, an, it sets a pattern for us. Uh, so today, so many people who hear the Christian message say this. Well, i got a lot of responsibilities. I just can't go and do this. I can't get out to the Bible class. I'm involved with this. What are my people, what are my friends at the country club going to think about me? What are they going to think about me? They're going to think I'm a flake, I'm a religious zealot. Man, let me tell you something. No, they won't. Because what's going to happen when you start stepping out for Jesus? They are going to be drawn to you. All of a sudden, people are going to ask you to pray for them. They're going to start speaking to you about the issues in their life. You're, you're going to be amazed at what happens when you step out and become a poster board for Christ. Really, you're going to be amazed. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in my own life. And so you see this here. And so this is what happens when we step out for Jesus. And second, Mary falls down at Christ's feet and worships him. Every time we see Mary in the Gospels, that is what she is doing. Falling down at the feet of Jesus and worshiping him, anointing him, uh, washing his feet. Uh, and that is such a lesson to us as to how we respond to Christ. And to what his, what, his, what his question is to us. And so she expressed her faith verbally uh, to him. And you take a look at verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, 
she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Boy, that's the, the obviously they had gotten together on that line. <laughs> yes, Jesus, I believe you. Yes, you have the power. You weren't here. You couldn't do the power. And so he's dead. You were involved in other things. What a slight that is to God. All right. So if you're praying for things, intervention in your life, you've asked God to do things. Don't get angry at God if the, if the answer has not come down as quick or in the way that you want it. Don't get angry at God. Instead, ask God to touch your mind and your heart so that it coincides with the will of God. Honestly, we don't want to become an adversary to God. We want to be able to say to God, Lord, I'm asking you to intervene. I don't know why you have not touched this situation. There must be some reason, Lord, help me to understand it. But I know you can intervene in every way. That's how you pray. And then you say, Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. An amazing amount of grace will come into your life. An amazing amount of grace will come into your life when you pray like that. And so here she is saying that verbally. Now, Mary was not debating Jesus the way Martha attempted to do, at least from what we're reading here. She fell at his feet, and her comment was made in the context of total trust and confidence. And she, it is as if she is saying to him, Lord, you are everything. You can do everything. I trust you completely. Uh, and so what an amazing insight it is there as you see these people growing in faith, even as you watch this whole episode develop as Jesus comes and has not yet approached the tomb. Now I want to start with the outline that we have this week in verse 33 of chapter 11. When Jesus saw her weeping, and that's Mary, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. That's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But, underline but, isn't there always a but? But, but is generally not a good word in scripture. All right? You don't want but, but in your resume. It's not a good thing, generally speaking. All right? But, some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, you're crying for him, Sure. But you, if you really loved him, you could have taken care of this. You could have kept him from dying. You see how we taunt God? Honestly, taunting him. Taunting him. The creator of the universe. The creator of the universe. It's amazing. And so, uh, as I've studied this and read some commentaries on it, one of the things that I discovered is that the great English preacher, Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers England ever produced, Produced two entire sermons, entirely different on two words. Jesus wept. Pretty good, huh? You'd think I'd take a long time. I bowed to Spurgeon. Two entire sermons. And when Spurgeon preached, they weren't 15-minute sermons. All right? And so here he is preaching two entire sermons on the words Jesus wept. Now, why... Am I going to concentrate so much on the fact that Jesus wept? I believe it gives us a window into the heart and mind of God. I want you to think about this. Here's God 
Jesus Christ, knowing that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, coming to the tomb, and yet seeing the emotional outpouring of humanity, seeing them crying because they faced death, coming to tears himself. God brought to tears himself. And so the first thing that this teaches to me is that Jesus was a man. Jesus was a man. That's why Jesus is so great. Because he wasn't here just as God. It wasn't that he didn't experience what you're experiencing. It wasn't that he didn't have the pain that you're having, or the sorrow that you're having, or the crying and weeping that you have. Jesus experienced every aspect of life that you have. And that is why when you reach out to God and pray, God knows your pain. Don't think that you're praying to a God that can't identify with you. He fully identifies with you. I want you to spend every day thinking of Jesus standing there at the tomb of his friend who he's going to raise from the dead. And yet he weeps. Why? Because he sees humanity destitute because sin has taken over the life of, of what should not have been, how we've fallen, succumbed to Satan in every day. And so you understand that. And so Jesus, fully man, born of a woman, birthed in the most simplest of places, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Uh, he was nursed most likely like every other baby. Um, we read in Luke that he increased with knowledge and wisdom as he grew older. That means he was a regular kid, growing like a regular kid and suddenly becoming more wise and mature as God filling him through the Holy Spirit. Jesus was a man, fully in every single way. We know that he hungered. We know that he hungered. We know that he was when he was tempted in the, in the wilderness, that Satan knew that he was, hadn't eaten for 40 days. And what does Satan say? You see Satan? You see how he is? Oh, you're hungry. You really could go for something to eat right now, couldn't you? You know, the Bible says you could take those stones and you can turn them into bread right now. You can turn them into bread. Go ahead, do it. You and me, just you and me, do it to me. Now, you don't think you would be tempted to do that. You're a man and, you're, you're a man and your, your stomach is growling and grumbling and you haven't eaten and your blood sugar is sinking and you know what it's like. I feel that way after two hours of night. <laughs> I know I'm the only one that can say that. But, but the point is, you see what happens, how God, Jesus, is fully man suffering that way and it's funny because as we read the scripture we see several references to the fact about food uh and we see that uh when jesus uh was resurrected and in the 40 days that he was resurrected one of the things that we see is that jesus cooked a meal for the disciples do you remember that he cooked he broiled fish and it said jesus was eating so even in the resurrected state as jesus walked in this world he still Eight, meaning he still hungered. He's a real man. Just as he's a real God, he's a real man. And any, any faith, any time anybody diminishes the aspect of Jesus that he is not fully man, that is not from God. And so remember this. He's fully man and he's fully God. Meaning he knows what you suffer. He knows what your needs are. He knows what depression is. He knows what pain is. He knows what tears are. He knows what your tears are. Because he had them. He suffered. 
in every way. And so you see this. In fact, on the cross, what did Jesus say? I thirst. I thirst right there on the cross at the last moments. Saying that. Saying that. And so the Lord's humanity is seen also in his emotions. You see that. At times, Jesus could display anger with the business practices of the temple. Now, Jesus is not, does not get angry the way we get angry, driving around in traffic in Naples. <laughs> right? We were talking about that this morning with a brother. You drive, I mean, you're, you're being, your Christianity is being tested this last couple of weeks. You know, I can testify to that. As, as almost to the point where you can't leave your house any longer. You almost have to have everything brought to you. You just can't walk. You can't, even, you can't even walk because you're driving your car and you're looking for other cars. Then you're looking for a bicycle. And then all of a sudden somebody steps out, right? And, and you, you need a navigator. And my wife is constantly going, look out. Watch out. Look out. People. Bicycles. And, and I often wonder how I was ever able to drive a car by myself. <laughs> I don't know how. Linda says it's a good thing I'm here in this seat. Yes, it is. It is. It is. It is. But, but you know, you see that with, with Jesus, uh, and you see that he got angry at the temple. Why? He got angry because he saw God's house being defaced. The temple being used in a way it was not supposed to be used. It had become a, ver a veritable marketplace of money changers. That's not what God intended. That's not what God intended. And so Jesus was filled with indignation. Rather than angry, anger, it ought to be indignation. If I translated that, I would say indignation, meaning really a righteous, a righteousness, uh, and rising up in terms of opposition to what was done. And so Jesus did that. Uh, and yet Jesus also showed pity, pity. Uh, as in the compassion for the multitudes, when he saw these multitudes constantly following him, whom he termed sheep without a shepherd. Or how about when he fed the 5,000? Here they were, they've been there all day, and he knew that they were hungry. You think Jesus doesn't care about your physical needs? Here's an example right there. It just came to me now of Jesus caring about the most simple things in your life. They are hungry. They need to be fed. And so I'll take care of it. That's, that's, the, that's the Jesus that you're serving. That's the Jesus that you're serving. When I read this verse, Jesus wept, I can't tell you what it does to me. When I realize that that's the God that I worship, that's the God who I've given in my life to, who else has a God like this? Who else has a God that feels your pain? Who else has a God that cries? There's no other religion. None. And I'm not knocking other people. Really, I'm not. I'm just saying that you are so blessed because God gave you the truth and poured it into your life. You see who Christ is. What an example of this is he showed pity for the people and termed them sheep without a shepherd. Uh, and all these facts speak to the humanity of Jesus. A savior who is not divine is no savior at all. But at the same time, a savior, as divine as he is, who is cloaked with humanity is a very very special God. Uh, and that's the message of this, of this section of the teaching. That when you pray, when you, re when you reach out to God, in your despair and your tears, I want you to know that God, God's heart breaks for you. God knows your pain. 
He knows your pain. So don't think, don't think, oh, they don't, God doesn't really care. I'm not important. It's not a, no, no, no. Why would Jesus have cried at the tomb? Honestly, do you see this? And so the second fact that this simple verse teaches us is that Jesus experienced grief. Jesus experienced grief just as we do. Uh, and this fulfills Isaiah's prophecy that he would be a man of sorrows, acquainted with our grief. Turn again to Isaiah 53, written 800 years, 800 years, Isaiah 53, 800 years before Jesus would, would be born. Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. There it is. Jesus is familiar with your grief. Don't think that he's not. He was rejected by men. Here he is. You see it. We study it. Constantly rejected. Constantly rejected. Uh, familiar with suffering. Who suffered more than Jesus? Suffering, not just in the physical way that he would suffer, but in the emotional way, imagine how it would be. You're God. You're the son of God. And you come to fulfill thousands of years of prophecy. And the very people who are chosen not only reject you, but they kill you. What do you think that's like? What do you think that's like, like as you see God being put under people's feet? Uh, understanding what that's like. And you see that, that, that men would hide their faces and esteem him not. What a God we have. What a God we have. That even though mankind did that, he didn't wipe out mankind. That still in love, he reached out to those who would accept him. And, and you understand what, what a great God we have. And so whatever grief and sorrow we have today as humans, Jesus has experienced it. That's important. Whatever you've suffered, whatever your grief is, whatever your pain is, Jesus has already suffered it. That's why our faith stands alone. That's the only God that can say that. That our God has experienced what we go through fully. What we go through. Um, and it's such an important thing to understand. And so Jesus is experienced and acquainted with grief just as we suffer it. And because of that, he is able to comfort those who suffer it. That's the key. Jesus is able to comfort us Comfort us even as we have suffered it. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be make like, made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted what a great set of verses that is all right and here you have hebrews this book is written for the jewish people telling them about christ and why if you're a jew it's just natural for you to become a christian look at it he it's it's not that he's an angel god didn't create didn't have jesus come to this world to help angels Angels didn't need the help, but mankind needed the help. 
And so Jesus had to become like us in every way. Why? Why did Jesus have to become like us in every way? Because it is only because he came like us in every way that he can experience the pain and suffering that you have. And so as you get the bad diagnosis, as the, as the travails of life are poured down upon you, as, a, as the separations of humanity separate you sometimes from your children, every aspect of your life that you're suffering, Jesus has already experienced it. And God intended for that to happen. He intended for that to happen. So that when Jesus would go to the cross, only that way, only that personage, as one who was created like us and suffered like us and understands what pain is like, only Jesus could atone for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. We'll close at this point and continue next week. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words that you've given us, Father. I ask that these words resonate with us as, as we continue to think about what you are and what you've done with us, Lord. This picture of you weeping at the tomb of Lazarus is a picture that we will continue to contemplate, knowing that you care for us and love us in such a profound way, Lord. Bless our people. Protect them this week, Lord, and continue to be with them and bring them back safely next week as we continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.